0: Welcome to a fistful of Best Cars. It's the podcast about The Mandalorian, the Disney Plus original series. I'm Dirk. And I'm Jonah. And today we are talking about chapter seven, The Reckoning. And what an episode this was. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. Uh, We're getting to the end of the season. Um, This is the second to last episode in the season. And I really feel like the show's kind of like kicked it up a notch
1: sure there's a lot that happened in this episode that i think uh some fans myself included were hoping would happen as far as like it's the series and its relation to the rest of the star wars universe and the canon and all that good stuff so mm-hmm. we'll get into all that when we discuss the episode but yeah it was you know for yeah i feel like it did everything that a good penultimate episode of a season should do for
0: a show mm-hmm. yeah very well done uh but In the meantime, let's get into the bounty board. So The Rise of Skywalker opened on December 19th, and we still don't know what's going to come next.
1: No, we didn't have no idea what's going to come next. You know, there's been kind of... Uh, you know, it's no secret that Lucasfilm has not had the best luck keeping creative teams behind um, people, as you know, keep it behind projects. I should say, um, in uh, in this um, to create more content for the Star Wars mythos. So I mean, we had uh, uh, you know Kevin Feige from Marvel come in, and he's supposed to kind of help, I believe restructure some things maybe help plan out something since that's kind of i think where his kind of genius came in with marvel was mm-hmm. connecting everything kind of together but you know we're still we're still waiting to hear back on from ryan johnson as to how his proposed trilogy is going to be you know when it's when it's going to be released if it's going to be released if it's still a trilogy at this point um uh ben benignoff and weiss the creative team behind great game of thrones mm-hmm. you know in october kind of um uh inf- infamously kind of walked away from star wars to pursue other projects so right now it's just you know as we're kind of here in the cusp of the end of the skywalker saga there's still a lot of uncertainty um for where uh star wars is going to be is disney plus going to be continue to be the uh medium for uh future star wars content or films still on the docket we just don't know at this point
0: yeah so it's a lot of up in the air what would you like to see dirk i you know what that's a great question (laughs) um actually when i think about it i would like to see some more things um based on coruscant okay i that was something in it, it was episode two right mm-hmm. where it was mostly on course yeah i i was really intrigued by it and i think now with um you know a more advanced cgi and models i think they could really make that world believable and just like the whole idea of an entire city planet yep is intriguing to me i did go on um years ago i i was looking on i think it was wikipedia and i was reading up about it and um it said that like later uh, much later on um for some reason the planet was abandoned and was slowly being reclaimed by nature so like i don't know that's kind of a cool idea too. (laughs) that
1: would be uh, that's kind of an interesting one kind of like the uh rise and fall of the city planet of Corazon and everything. Um, yeah, you know, it kind of brings the mind. Um, I've been reading the, the fantasy novel, The Lies of Locke Lamora, which is about, you know, it's a fantasy novel, but it's basically also a gangster story. Taking oh, okay. place. And you could do a lot of fun stuff. I feel like where you kind of take Star Wars into an into more kind of like what the Mandalorian did with the Western, um, you could definitely take a Star Wars story into like you know a story a, about you know a gangsters as far as like using gangster films tropes and oh, you know, yeah. everything and gangster film imagery and stuff like that on something like that. Or you could do kind of like what does *Coruscant* look like? You know, ten thousand years after. You know, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would be kind of interesting to see as well. And um, yeah, so uh, so would you think that these is like a film series? Something like a TV series would be better. Um, what do you think?
0: You know, I think I think a TV series would mm-hmm. be really good.
1: Yep. So we do know, I mean, we have the um, Casting and the Andor series, which, you know, is going to be, I think, in the next year or so, going to mm-hmm. be on Disney+. Plus. And then also, yeah, I think a little after that is when Ob- the Obi-Wan series is oh, supposed okay. to start, which that would be an interesting because that's kind of talking about his time on Tatooine, kind of looking over Luke, so... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's going to be quite as engaging as The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. But, you know, <laughs> evidently that's kind of what Disney Plus has decided is their bread and butter is a powerful um, uh, older um, warrior taking care of a baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, breaking down those uh, those stereotypes of masculinity well, where the, the yeah. man can't take care of the babies.
1: So. Well, Well, as we've seen from The Mandalorian, there's some cause for you know for that, <laughs> well, for, for that he's, yeah
0: thing. he's he's not mr mom by any means <laughs> maybe by the end of the series yeah hopefully let's go ahead and uh, get into duel of the fates where we talk about the episode at hand um like we said at the top of the show this is chapter seven the reckoning and it's the penultimate episode for season one So it was directed by Deborah Chow and written by Jon Favreau. And uh, Wikipedia's synopsis says, The Mandalorian receives a message from Grief Karga. Karga's town has been overrun by Imperial troops led by the client, who is desperate to recover the child. Karga proposes that the Mandalorian use the child as bait in order to kill the client and free the town. In return, Karga will square things with the guild, which would allow the Mandalorian and the child to live in peace. Sensing a trap, the Mandalorian recruits Cardoon and Queel, the Ugnaught, to assist him.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I just want to say something. Uh, Deborah Child did a great job directing this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she directed, I think it was chapter three. Where at, where, yeah, And And um, she's great at um, getting kind of groups of opposing people to like really build the tension, really mm-hmm. kind of, you know. Like, she just has a great sense of when when a close up's the appropriate shot, when, you know, showing mm-hmm. like all the different forces at play. Because, as we'll talk about um, with this episode, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of stormtroopers in this episode. There's a <laughs> lot of surprises as far as like um, the types of thing you know, the type of people who shows up at all that thing. Mm-hmm. So, I just want to say that I, I think this was the most impressive um, episode yet of the season. I agree. I think it's also. Um, you know, a penultimate episode to really have the characters in the worst possible situation, mm-hmm. which, of course, was the worst possible <laughs> situation in this series would be baby Yoda not being safe, and <laughs> it definitely left us with a cliffhanger, which was, yeah, you know, another kind of first for the series. Mm-hmm. We had to wait till uh, chapter seven, but we finally have kind of a episode that's going to, um, you know, for sure lead into another episode,
0: yes. Um, and Really, this is uh, not only leading into another episode, but it's finally tying in some storylines from previous episodes by him, you know, collecting his posse, going Mm. back and getting Kara, getting Queel. Sure.
1: And something I thought was kind of interesting is when I, um, you know, it seems like a lot of the merchandising, um, especially apparel for this show, has been kind of a lot of stuff with the Mandalorian, Kara and IG-11. So I mm-hmm. kind of wonder if, you know, they kind of uh, show their hand where, where that seems like it's going to be, who's going to be possibly um, coming to, the, you know, the people who are going to be making the last, the last stand for the at least for the season is going to yeah. be that, that trio there.
0: And I'm glad you brought up IG-11 because we finally found out like where he's going to come back into play. He's now domesticated. Yeah, he pretty (laughs) much
1: was turned into a protocol (laughs) droid,
0: which, you know, it's
1: kind of, it's always fun to see these um, uh, characters, you know, like IG-11 always, you know, is going to bring to mind the assassin droid IG-88 from Empire Strikes Back, Mm -hmm. something fierce and something you don't. And, um, um, you know, just something that is you know deadly and then to see him learning how to properly serve drinks and all that stuff was a lot of fun for this episode. Yeah. And I think some a good part of the um tension that it was a good relief uh, relief from some of the tension that was being built up that mm-hmm. while at the same time uh interesting enough creating more tension because as we all know the mando does not trust no. droids at <laughs> all even if they've been totally reprogrammed. Yeah.
0: Well, a, I feel like especially him because he was kind of on a joint mission with him yes to start off with and he and knows
1: just how what he's capable of <laughs> with right. with with a with a, a couple of wires crossed he could be a much, he's a much different <laughs> yeah. droid so yeah
0: and that you know the the menacing red dots yes in his face you know that doesn't help anything but you know he he did serve tea pretty nicely sure
1: and I liked that, uh, and I actually liked all those scenes at the beginning too with Kara and I.G. Eleven, and Quill, and the Mando, because then they also crossed that with Kara being a Rebel Alliance um, shock trooper. Mm-hmm. Um, her uh, mistrust of of Quill as being an Ugnot, who was you know they were indentured, as he said, you know basically enslaved to the Empire mm-hmm. and worked with them. I mean they're you know the kind of creatures. I was just that creature, but you know, there's the there's a the character types of you know, pe that are at best pin that are helping Darth Vader when he freezes. Right. Um, Han Solo and everything. And that's also one of the things I think is so fun about this show is it's giving personality, it's really creating Create, giving personhood to a lot of these characters that were maybe in the background and not really major parts, but they mm-hmm. still know they're part of the bigger universe, and I think that's been great. And it's also interesting that he mentioned. I think it took what three lifetimes for him to <laughs> for yeah. him to pay off the debt, which means that he's been he's been alive for a very long time,
0: right? And again, like more creatures in the universe that have a much longer lifespan than just mm. what we're used to,
1: yeah. And speaking of creatures with a longer lifespan, some of it, there was also a interesting moment where Kara and uh, uh, the Mandalorian were arm wrestling, and his Baby Yoda didn't necessarily understand what the situation was, and we actually saw him force choke. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, what did you think of that? Well, at first, I thought he was going to try to help the Mandalorian win. Mm-hmm. So I was very surprised. Well, he did. When, well, he did yeah, <laughs> by a little more force than I expected him to. Um, I didn't expect the force choke. I was surprised by that. Um, but yeah, the the baby in this episode really like kind of flexes his force muscle um, for a number of reasons. And I think going forward, God willing, mm-hmm. that the baby's okay... Um, we might see, you know, see him learning sure. right from wrong and like yep. how to properly use his his
1: yeah. power. And we also saw, uh, conversely, uh, the kind of the opposite of the force choke was the force heal, which actually, mm-hmm. you know, it's been in some video games and I think some novels and things like that. But I right. don't think we've actually seen force healing happen on, you know, in the films up to this point. Mm-hmm. So it was good to see that as well. So I was kind of wondering if they're trying to make a point that this child is still kind of a blank slate it could very much go you know if we're going to talk about the force in terms of the light side and the dark side Mm -hmm. it is very much has that both uh seeds planted in it you know and i maybe that's how all children are who are force sensitive um yeah for for me i thought it was interesting the force choke because then that opens up a whole can of worms about is a force choke instinctual? Like, do you just, yeah. you know, like, as a child, do you know, like, actually what choking someone does, you know? Right. <laughs> so, and that was just uh, a very, I just felt like that was a very key scene for setting up Baby, um, baby Yoda and the child's journey going forward, which I think is going to be about what Star Wars usually ends up being about, is it's kind of the corruption, Is right. you know, and for kind of seeing that, that the Empire... Well, there's a very huge corrupting force in this universe wants this child mm-hmm. <laughs> and what could happen if say the Mandalorian isn't successful, which I'm guessing will be in its, in his rescue plans, hopefully for the next episode, mm-hmm. you know, that's where, um, that's just a question we're all going to be mm-hmm. having until the next episode. I feel like,
0: um, I want to talk a little bit about the scenery mm-hmm. and location choices that were made for this episode. Uh so uh the crew landed back on Navarro mm-hmm. and we got to see a little more of like the barren outskirts um from the town. And I loved just absolutely loved where where they were filming because there were like these lava fields yes. of black sand, uh like dunes all over the place. It was a very barren it, it was still desert. It yes. felt like the desert but it definitely was not like tattooing desert
1: no i thought that was interesting and then and then just again opens you know it kind of opens up this world that you know it is a volcanic world and and mm-hmm. uh, just that you know it's giving kind of texture to this whole uh this whole universe that the Mandalorian takes place and i think it's better than just kind of going with a very kind of a general sense that george lucas gave his movies where mm-hmm. it was this is a forest planet it's a jungle planet this is right. you know a desert planet this is an ice planet that, right there you go <laughs> you got them all <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> and because yes. you know that's something that you know a lot of people make jokes about since then is the fact that you can't in star wars a planet has one environment one you know right. one te- temperature one every you know it's you know and of course we know we know that even other planets that don't necessarily have, uh, uh, you know, you know, anything that sustains life or something still have different environments, different things that are occurring within the surface of the planet. So right. I, I like it, uh, that we see that there's the lava fields and that, you know, that's just that there's other concerns. I mean, there's also other sorts of... Um, uh biodiversity there's yeah dragon star wars dragon and yeah. i don't know what they were that
0: scene was terrifying yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it was very jurassic park like and yeah. everything and um so it was but you know and that of course is when um grief gets you know you know hurt and mm-hmm. um that which requires baby yoda so we also know that these the animals are poisonous so i just thought there was yeah there was a lot of thought put in this episode and just again going back to deborah child's direction she directed mm-hmm. it in a way in which it was very cinematic and very much you know it told the story um in using the scenes we absolutely needed for that story to be
0: told yeah um so i gotta ask did you did you see the double cross right away i did
1: not see the double cross right away i just you know that was something that was um uh i i just you know i i think this episode was written well enough and it was kind of you know i didn't necessarily trust the situation but i so but i also didn't know how it was all going to be going mm-hmm. on and, I was, and then just the fact that um you know the mandalorians with you know has at least an ally with this case in this case i thought there if something were to go down it would probably be a little bit more of an even fight yeah than how it was in the um the last week's episode with the prison you know with the right. prison and everything i was always i was expecting him to be thrown into a cell that whole episode mm-hmm. so this one was a lot i mean i didn't know exactly how it was going to go down and um it was you know, it was fairly interesting. I still don't know if I understood 100% of what griefs, um, uh, motivation was for kind of taking, you know, for taking out, you know, not adhering to the same plan other than just baby to heal them.
0: Yeah. I think that was really his change of heart. Um, uh, and it was pretty surprising when he turned around and shot his cohorts. Yes. Yeah. Um. Uh, But then going into the town, you know, he kind of, well, he didn't kind of downplay. He very much downplayed the Stormtrooper presence. Yes. Um, And up until this point, I was kind of under the impression that, you know, that was all kind of gone, except for in small small little pockets around the galaxy. Uh, But it seems like the Empire has a stronger hold in the Outer Rim than was originally revealed
1: yeah and i think that was kind of what um you know just in a lot of other stories and stuff about kind of lead up to um or i should say the kind of the the end of the empire kind of led to the an evacuation to the outer planets and mm-hmm. they kind of because that was kind of the central core is kind of where the alliance started to focus in on you know and pushing pushing them back and everything so i think it kind of makes sense that they would they would kind of scatter and try to gather up on the, in the outer rim. Um, but we got a nice new character. Um, you know, well, I guess we could go back and talk about, you know, eventually they, you know, grief and Kara and the Mandalorian go to make the deal, which, you know, at this point, the, the baby Yoda is actually with, um, Quill, you know, not Mm -hmm. part of the deal necessarily, but they are going to, um, use the prim you know yes. that's the floating egg device as a bargaining chip um uh with uh none other than the return with the return of Werner Herzog which was always great to see him
0: yes and um he was very excited to see <laughs> the child um and I don't did they meet in the same place that that the Mandalorian met with him originally.
1: That I I I didn't know. It didn't
0: it didn't seem like it was the same place. I was also wondering where Doctor Pershing was in all of yes. this. Well, yeah, that's
1: yeah. He's probably in some lab somewhere. Yeah, know? being but, creepy. Yeah, being creepy. <laughs> but you know, and but also you know, in the great Werner Herzog way, he's talking about you know how can you possibly think life was better? Um, life is better right now that the empire is gone, that there's right. no safety, there's no anything. And it kind of shows kind of that, how perverted their thinking is and why they're so committed because they just see um, lawlessness and they see chaos everywhere they're going instead of, you know, actually, you know, freedom and not being under a tyrannical, you know, a foot with everything. I think it was an interesting kind of play where it kind of gives people a chance to think like well what, what would be is order um better than the chaos is right you know is feeling is security better than you know freedom and, mm-hmm. and all that so i think that that was you know points that i feel like are always brought up when an authoritarian state falls um and it was just nice to hear verna herzog do it in his <laughs> very verna herzog way
0: oh yeah and yeah, I can't think of a better person to be like an old empire bigwig. Yes, yeah. than than Werner Herzog. Like he he's just like made for that role.
1: Exactly. I mean, and then and but unfortunately, he wasn't very long for no. this role. You know, <laughs> no. um, because that was, you know, I when and I have to say that there was one part where I was a little bit confused was when after kind of the discussion and negotiations with. um with the clients start to fall apart and all of a sudden there was gunfire i didn't know if, uh, if cardoon was shooting everybody with right yeah. i just didn't know where this gunfire I did, it wasn't until a second later you know or a few seconds into the scene when i realized oh it's coming from outside and you mm-hmm. know, of course we had the whole battalion of death troopers out there right which are always kind of cool to see you know it's, it's something i also like the fact that these are a type of stormtrooper that were introduced in rogue one and now they're finding further yeah. usage in in the star wars series
0: yeah, I, I I was really happy to see them. Well, not happy, but like happy in the sense that I really like seeing more depth, even on the imperial side. Mm-hmm. Seeing the different ranks of stormtroopers, uh, we had a, a few different ones. I think we had sandtroopers. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the the ones at the the gate. On those the scout troopers yeah
1: so yeah and that was you know i think kind of goes to the saying there's kind of right now within the imperial ranks a rallying of trying to get mm-hmm. you know kind of pull everybody together from wherever they can um of course when you see the scout troopers stuff, immediately you're thinking okay well then they have to be on a speeder bikes and they're going to get on those speeder bikes at some point <laughs> and right. everything cause that's what we saw them do in return of the jedi so right so we um So, yeah, as soon as they started, you know, they intercepted the call between uh, Quill and the Mandalorian, Mm -hmm. knowing that the asset is not with them. Um, I knew things were going to be probably not going so well for Quill after that. (laughs) Um,
0: Before we get into that, though, let's talk about the new villain that has sort of taking the place of Werner herzog's character so
1: yeah there was a big bad and his name is moff gideon yes Uh, and um moff gideon um is we don't know anything about him other than he flies a tie fighter (laughs) (laughs) and evidently he's been the one that's really um you know calling the shots um with that um you know in star wars lore a moth is a title it's you know grand moff tarkin when of course it's mm-hmm. you know kind of it's kind of a sign of leadership i believe it's kind of like a, a governor type of thing you know so he's this we can assume that this character was probably in charge of a star system a planet some sort of he was in he had some position of huge responsibility within the republic mm-hmm. um and but like i kind of talked about before um it was really cool to see a TIE fighter land because I've always oh, yeah. wondered how TIE fighters land. Um, you kind of always saw them held up by, um, you know, by apparatuses within Star Destroyers and mm-hmm. space stations and things like that. But um, I don't know if anybody follows, uh, I think his name's Doug Chien. Um He's an um, artist for Lucasfilm. It's been, I think he's done this for decades. He's been an artist. But he talked about how that was one of the most fun products he had was uh, a kind of rendering for The Mandalorian how, a tie fighter would work um you know kind of on a physics level on an yeah. engineering level to actually land <laughs> realistically
0: yeah and it was very cool to see to see those those flat vertical wings go horizontal almost like x-wing style yes. yeah uh and then slowly land and then um uh, uh, could you remind me his name oh sure moff gideon yeah moff gideon getting out of the the tie fighter uh, almost like kind of rising out of the yes. the tie fighter
1: sure and that's you know and again that's something that I think is just very much um, in line with like a lot of you know there's always kind of in Star Wars seems like there's always one a a bad guy who's bigger than the one that you're per- per- right. currently seeing you know um, in the original series of course the Emperor was one pulling the strings but right. we didn't really meet him until the end you know the end of the season we finally meet the person who truly seems to have an idea of how important, um, baby Yoda is and, mm-hmm. you know, possibly carrying out, you know, the purge that happened as a result of, you know, order 66, um, where they're trying to gather up any force sensitive children. I mean, this mm-hmm. child's 50 years old, which means that they missed out on getting them right. when that happens, So, cause this child's been around that long. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of, hard to, it's kind of a weird thing to think about what this child was probably born. You know close to or at some point during the prequels
0: that's true yeah <laughs>
1: so if it's 50 years old so and this happened you know i mean there was only 18 years between the when the prequels ended and when then you know the original series were supposed to begin so mm-hmm. you know this so this child was you know could have hung out with uh darth maul <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> <laughs> who knows baby darth maul and baby yoda yeah. speaking
1: of darth maul i did think it was pretty cool with that whole when he when we were reintroduced to cara doom oh yeah and she's kind of having a some sort of physical contest and it looks to be a night brother which is kind of where you know what um what you know darth maul is from dathomir which is in the clone wars i had a whole great series about the witches of dathomir and how they mm-hmm. employ the guys you know he had a brother savage which you know savage oppress which is a very star wars name but yeah, anyway but um you know they just very um it, it was kind of fun to see again that this this universe that the tv series is uh populating is with mm-hmm. saw a lot of familiar um uh with a lot of familiar uh types of aliens but they're mm-hmm. not the same characters we've met before
0: right yeah i i like that a lot it's a nice widening of the universe mm-hmm.
1: there well do you want to talk all about like what you feel like the implications are for the fact that the end of this series um you know it ended kind of at a downer and baby yoda yeah. is baby Yoda's not safe right now
0: yeah baby yoda is is certainly not safe um that was such a dramatic ending mm-hmm. to that episode a great cliffhanger ending um you just see poor little baby Yoda laying on the ground. Mm. Uh, You see Quill off in the distance shot along with his uh, trusty steed, if you will. (laughs) Um, And then the last very last thing we see is, is one of the scout troopers just swooping in and like scooping up the baby riding back to town. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, it's all going to work out that the Mandalorian's going to end up getting away with the baby uh, at the end of the next episode. but who knows?
1: I do feel like I mean they've been hinted at before and there's, this show's definitely not afraid of a Deus machina and everything that we may uh, we may see a Mandalorian Calvary. Um, coming,
0: so I kind of think we will too, just because there was not another Mandalorian in sight. Yes, uh, when we got to town. Yeah, and, I, you know, and that
1: makes sense because these, this is a group. You know, this is a whole group of people who have been terrified and have been oppressed by this people. And now there's a huge imperial presence by you know of of you know which is our their oppressors that they would probably you know stick you know not not go out and everything. Mm-hmm. But I still feel. As though that they they um that we haven't seen the last of them.
0: No, I, I definitely don't think so either. Um, if anything, you know, the Mandalorian might have to go back to the Mandalorian blacksmith and <laughs> get some new Beskar. Yeah,
1: and I really hope too we get to see Kara, because um, you know it's just great to have a character who's just so single has such a single vision about her hatred of the empire, and mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of stormtroopers for her to um deal with. I hope they have a lot of fun with that too
0: yeah i think I think we're in store for some pretty epic shootouts, yes, in this next episode. Um, I love that Giancarlo Esposito is the the big bad. Mm. He plays villains so well, I think because he's got such a subtle way about him he He still seems so dangerous even though he's kind of a mild-mannered guy he's
1: very polite which i think is always kind of uh, i love characters like that And if you will go back and watch the original prequels that's one of the reasons why you know senator palpatine eventually become emperor palpatine why he's so creepy is he's just so polite and so kind of diplomatic and measured and in control Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel like Um, Mr. Esposito is very much in that kind of, in that reign. And I feel like that's often what we see with, um, totalitarian regimes are the leaders are kind of, you know, they're not, you know, they're not psychopaths on the outside. They keep, you know, that's what makes them (laughs) even creepier. That's how they're able to get people on, on board with them is kind of, you know, not, you know, not the very successful ones anyway, uh, of death spots, it seems like they, um, Able to have that kind of that keep that face of you know just is just kind of business as usual and this is just how it has to be and kind of yeah yeah
0: very cold and calculated yes yeah
1: yeah but I'm again I hope and again it's also fun to see kind of these characters where they're obviously you know he has a tie fighter and whole battalion of death troopers don't get me wrong it's not like he's not there in force but he's not there and Beskar armor ready to go toe-to-toe with the Mandalorian either. Right. So it's kind of fun to see the different ways in which they're dealing with, um, with that. Um, you know, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I just want to see how this ends, you know, next, next week's episode is directed by Taika Waititi, who's one of my favorite, you know, directors of the mm-hmm. last 10 years or so, especially for these sort of stories. So I'm just very, very excited with where they're going to take it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, I loved Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great blend of action and comedy, um, and I'm really hoping we'll see some some more of that. Oh and yeah, who man. knows? Maybe IG Eleven will end up saving the day.
1: Well, who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I definitely don't think we've seen. I mean, for you know, IG Eleven may make. I think I think there's a very good chance that he's going to play a uh, pivotal role yeah. at the end of this. A Fistful of Best Cards is produced by Dirk Walker and Jonah Chrismore. To geek out with us about Star Wars and other pop culture, follow us on Twitter at Dirk Walker and Jonah Crismore, and follow the show at A Fistful of Pod. Our theme music was, or, Our theme music is by Lobo Loco. If you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends about us. It's simple, but it really helps.